This is Indie Animation. I'm Trevor Stewart. I'm an animation producer. And I'm Rob Shaw. I'm a director of animation. And we are podcasting from under an evergreen tree in Portland, Oregon, because most people don't know, we have a huge, huge animation industry up here, and it is indie as fuck. Actually, okay, the name of this is Indie Animation, but we will also be talking about uh, big studio animation. Rob and I both have experience uh, moving up and down that ladder of indie animation and, and big studio animation. And each week we're going to have us and sometimes our friends talking about this stuff. Yeah. And by friends would be like other directors, other producers, animators, writers, um, anyone who wants to get completely shit faced with my pig and the fire. I don't know if you guys can hear the fireplace in the background, but we ain't recording from a sound studio. So, uh, this, yeah, so this is indie animation. You have 13 years under your belt as a animation director. Yeah. How or as you- a director. Would you even like, did you slap people and they're like, you're an animation well, director? Well, okay. Like, no, I'm a director. And you grab by the collar. So here's the hard part is I wouldn't mind being called an animation director. The problem is that uh, if you go from like an IMDB standpoint, animation director isn't actually what I do. Because an animation director is usually used to describe someone below the director that is directing the I animators. know what you mean. So your animation director is my line producer. Yeah. Ooh. So I'm an... Oh, an, yeah. I hate that shit. So I'm, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. I'm a director of animated things, which is not a real title, but it gives you an idea that I, I direct... Uh, a little bit of live action, but mostly I do animation and I direct some 2D and I direct some CG and I kind of specialize in, in stop motion. Um, and But I direct in the classical sense of directing where I work with other people, animators, art directors, production designers. But there's no creative sitting on your, sitting on your shoulders telling you what to do. No. Whereas if you were an animation director... The, the director itself would be like, okay, well, this is what I'm doing, and then here's your little playground that you get to move around in. Yeah, it would be very focused towards specifically the animation of these characters. It would be outside of the scope of the art direction, the art design, the, and the character with design. Guys. Yeah. You'd slap the animation director in the face if he started talking to the production designer? I would never like, slap anyone true. in the face. It's not true! You can't do this. I would only slap people with words. You're such a good guy. <laughs> so, uh, Trevor, how about you? How long you been doing this? You know, that's a really good question. I've been working in animation for 12 years. October 4th of 2006 makes my first real foray into animation. So I went with, uh, on Coraline. Yep. Prior to that was live action. Mm-hmm. Felt like I sold my soul mm-hmm. and, uh, felt like animation was like, my soul got returned to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy, holy shit. I, I can still make what I want to make, which is like pictures and, and entertainment, but it's filled with, with like introverted artists mm-hmm. and like sensitive artists and like people that felt more like people instead of no offense, no offense. But in Hollywood, people feel more like facsimiles of what people should be. <laughs> I was going to say too, that isn't part That's of this awful thing to say, but isn't part of this also, uh, you know, you came, you, you were in LA when you were doing more live action stuff, you were in LA. And yeah. then when you did animation stuff, you came to Portland, yes. which is a very specific animation community. Uh, yes. there's animation communities all over the world. Portland mm-hmm. has a, a, a 
you know, it's very large in comparison to the population here, but it's also, it all grew out of, uh, you know, Will Vinton Studios and a bunch of indie filmmakers and uh, grew into the, like a shadow machine industry that is currently Isn't that crazy. Now. If you follow that lineage, the, I mean, talking about indie animation is, uh, you know, Will Vinton, uh, bless him. He just passed away. Yeah. A few weeks I just ago. poured some coffee on the floor. Did you? And your dog's no, lapping it up. From right a dead homie. Um, 1974, 75, he wins the Academy Award, opens up a stop motion studio here in Portland. And it is indie. It's as indie as you could imagine indie being. And it's brand new. Nobody was playing with clay in that way, especially character based. And it hadn't like really struck. I think that people, I think that, that, that there, there's always, like with almost everything, there's always been some version of it happening. But for most people, claymation became a thing in the 80s because of Will Vinton yeah. Studios. And specifically, the California Raisins is the thing that... Right, the California Raisins were huge. It was like the dom- the Noid, the Noid. The Domino's or yeah. whatever pizza place was associated with that. Yeah. But then if you look at that thing uh, had evolved, you know, come 2003 when Will Vinton Studios was rebranded as Leica Entertainment... Um, you then went from indie to what I would describe Leica as not. I mean, yes, Leica is an independent studio because they're not bought by a distributor. So if you're looking at right. independent, generally when people say indie, what they're really saying is we got money to make our project, not from the 13 major studios in Hollywood. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and like I, Leica does, you could define them as independent from that definition. Yeah. But the risk is extremely when you start making pictures for more than ten million dollars a piece, you're not really indie anymore. How much does the like stakes a picture are cost? so high? What's right now it averages sixty, sixty five million. Sixty five million dollars. I think they've been averaging sixty five million for the last three pictures. So right? I would say, and this is something that I think we will go in depth about here and there on the show, but Indie means different things to different people. It's true. And that's yeah. part of part of doing this is kind of talking about that and what it means. And to me, my point of view, it's kind of two things. And the and they go they the first thing is the budget. And that is the the thing that is I think the most important. So when a movie costs a lot of money, uh it has to appeal to more people because it needs to make that money back. And yeah, so, I can almost like see that graph in my head of yeah. like what that what that Rorschach like image looks like of like the more money you spend, right. the larger audience <laughs> you have to attract, right. which sometimes equates to the less risky or daring your storytelling. Well, I be. like very specific stories in film and all types of film. Yeah. I like very personal stories and specific stories and I think that there are some that eke through and that sneak in and that appeal to everyone, but I think in large part those kind of stories that I like are going to be more niche audience stories and to have a niche audience movie that's going to be able to not bankrupt a bunch of people uh it needs to cost less so I think that's kind of one that's that's one point yeah the budgetary concern the budgetary yeah. concern and then the other is the kind of indie spirit which is wanting to go against the grain wanting to tell personal stories wanting to to uh do something different than what is currently out there and available in the mainstream and well, I would think- you consider guillermo del toro's so guillermo del toro they just announced that his next stop motion picture is going to be 
maybe it's his only stop motion or his his first stop motion <laughs> picture is going to shoot here in Portland. Yes. Um it's Pinocchio. Pinocchio's already been done. Yeah. Pretty pretty well. Mm-hmm. I think Disney did they did a pretty good job. I love Pinocchio. Right. Yeah, it's fucking gorgeous. Um Pinocchio's coming back around again. It's coming back around again. It's coming back around again. Yeah. It's going to be done I guess you could say outside the studio system, although it's going to be financed, you know, in the neighborhood of 30 million, 35 million by Netflix, which is a studio, which is a studio. And it's going to be ran through shadow machine, which is a studio. Yes. So do, would you consider that independent? Would Uh, you, the the, the director consider Pinocchio, this new iteration, Guillermo del Toro's picture to be independent film. So that is tough. I think it is. Uh, I think it is on the fringes, but I would, but I would call that independent. And the you reason would. I would call it because it's not going to be the Robin Thicke of animation. Because they're obviously making a movie that it definitely fits the. If if we look at those two categories, it definitely fits the spirit category mm-hmm. because definitely. it's being made. There's no other reason that movie's being made except for the fact that Guillermo del Toro wants to make that movie. Yeah. But it's based on the uh, the original book, I guess, is fucking terrifying. Doesn't matter. Doesn't None of this matters. matters. Throw it out the window. No okay. one's making Pinocchio because Pinocchio is a terrifying book and got misinterpreted the first time. They're only making it because del Toro wants to make it. He's a big enough name to push things in Hollywood. And they're giving him the most money they could conceive of giving him, which is not the same money that they would give to a movie that they thought was going to make a lot of money. Is that true? Because I heard another Netflix stop motion picture actually got a higher budget award than Pinocchio's. I don't know, but I would. I'm not going to say what it was. I would guess that they that when they're figuring out how much money they're going to give a movie, that most of that is figured out by how much they think they're going to be able to get back. Yeah. Versus how much are they investing in something else, like their credibility in the future, uh, a possible infrastructure. Maybe they want to start making movies like this and they need to own IP to be able to to, to leverage that against well, you future know, movies. Using your, your, your little litmus test of like budget and spirit. Mm-hmm. I hear you about spirit because yeah. this Pinocchio is probably going to be fucking terrifying. Um, but in terms of budget... If you just if you look at the average stop motion film right now being made for sixty to sixty five million, and like Corpse Bride was made for sixty five million, so it's not just it's not just yeah, but sixty like five million ten years ago, more than ten years ago, right? Corpse Bride is two thousand three. Okay, well then you know take Kubo then take Kubo yeah. right? It came out right yeah sixty five million. Um, you halve that, halve it, mm-hmm. have it, halve it and halve. If you halve it, that's effectively. Guillermo del Toro's budget on this. Yes. So you're right. So so there you go. So by your test, I think it would be indie. And I guess from my point of view, I have trouble defining it now because the Hollywood landscape t- keeps changing so much that the line between indie and big studio filmmaking for me is actually it's still so fucking blurry because the pieces keep moving around the chessboard. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and the other thing stopped, is the game's not over yet. And it's all and it's all like everything. It's not it's not two things. It's a big giant grayscale. Cause you got yeah. Del Toro's movie. Yeah. You have Anomalisa, which yep. you produced, yep. uh, which was 10. I, I'm not something like that. I'm not at liberty to say what the budget okay. was. <laughs> if, you, if you had to be me and guess, you would say somewhere in the neighborhood of 10, it's still less than 30. It's not going to be, th- they didn't have 30 for that movie. Okay. I'll blink 
No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm all, oh, I'll say it was less than $35 million. <laughs> Okay. And then you have something like Marion Max, which I think was like three or somewhere, somewhere in that neighborhood. Really low. So... No, no, Mary, no, six. No, 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 Mary, I thought Mary and Max was like... <laughs> I was going to keep going. 25. 340. Yeah, um, I think Mary and Max was, uh, I think it was like 8 million. Okay. Something like that. Maybe Even 7 still. point something. Okay, yeah. I'm Mary. just saying. There's levels to this thing. There's absolutely, there's totally Which, by the way, to, yeah. to the listeners, if you haven't seen Mary and Max... Yeah, to both of you listening. Because if you, you haven't heard of it, and you heard of all these other movies, go fucking see that movie. Oh it is God. brilliant. Adam Elliott is a fucking hero, yeah. and I feel like if I had made that movie, we wouldn't be doing this podcast because I wouldn't need to direct anything anymore. I'd be like, I'm, I'd be done if I did that movie. And Rob wouldn't be my friend anymore. No, but yeah. what about? I mean, along the same lines in that same kind of era, um, Il Postino, the Spanish film, the Spanish Dotmo film, the one, the thing that just came out, that thing. No, oh, it you know it never found a distributor, it never oh. really found a home, but it's beautiful. Okay, and it was like. I think it was done for like ten million or under, maybe twelve million, uh-huh. maybe even less than ten million. Yeah, beautiful. So I've since two thousand six, I've had the pleasure of working uh, on projects of a large scope. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could call them studio films. Right? Yeah, they're not or, indie. So or or studio. We can get back to this, but television. I but I would say that I say if your budget mm-hmm. is is sixty five million dollars. I don't care how much spirit you have. I have a hard time Mm -hmm. feeling like you are indie because your stuff has to appeal to enough people to for $65 million. Anyway, you, so you've worked on these grander scale things. So I've worked, I've worked at the molecular level on really, really small passion projects, right? Yeah. Like music video. I mean, you know, you, you direct music videos all the time. Passion. I'm I'm dealing with That's all I do. That's right. You're you're, you're paying your bills. I'm the passion project guy. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I've had the pleasure of working, um, working at the indie level where, uh, the oxygen is thin. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's my producer way of saying that there's no fucking money. Yeah. Um, and then I've had the pleasure of working in very large systems, extremely large systems where, you know, one picture is employing, you know, somewhere close to like 300 people. Yeah. Right. In a, you know, 200,000 square foot warehouse. So you see the pluses and minuses there. I feel like as an old man now in my, in my early forties, sorry, ladies, um, that, I'm thankful that I got a chance to to fuck around in both worlds. Yeah. Because Anomalisa was definitely thin on oxygen. It was definitely an independent film. Yeah. For those of you who haven't seen it or know about the folklore, um, the financing started as a, as a Kickstarter campaign, by the yeah. way. Um, but the those smaller <clears throat> films, in my experience, allow you to improvise mm-hmm. and allow you to be extremely nimble. Um, maybe allow might not be the right word. You are forced yeah. <laughs> to be nimble and to be extremely creative in your problem solving. And typically the mood, the spirit and camaraderie that I've experienced on set on these indie pictures is actually higher. Uh, and the morale is higher. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's no, it's really challenging to get stagnant because every day is a challenge when you don't have money, when you, when, when you can't send a runner out to pick up the material you want, or you can't order something from Japan and have it delivered that you need, you know, on set next week, when you have to just make do with what's within three feet of your reach, right? 
there's something that happens. So I, I don't like the fact that indie film will shave years off my life because of, you know, you know, creative problem solving is sometimes stressful, Yeah, but I feel like the, the morale, the spiritual reward afterwards for me is more fulfilling than the large pictures. I'm going to make some assumptions here too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause unlike Trevor, I have not worked on the bigger stuff. Your fucking budgets were $1 million an episode for the PJs. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's like, okay, so, all right. So, <laughs> and that was like 1999 yeah, yeah, yeah. money. Yeah. So, Rob trying to pull the wool yeah, over yeah, everybody's yeah. head. No, no, no. So, uh, <laughs> but okay, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, so, so, you stood at the crossroads after school where you chose, where you could have gone to The Simpsons, which would have been as big box as you could get. Mm hmm. Or you could have gone to what? I guess the PJs was still a million dollars an episode, which was roughly, I think, the same for the yeah. Simpsons at the time. Uh, but I did Gary and Mike, which was less. But even that still, was it was Go still. Sorry, it was I'm cutting you off. I would say uh, um, one of the one of the things that I would assume happens when you're at a bigger studio is that everyone every every one of the higher up decision makers, and I say this, people that are. Beyond the director and beyond the producer. So you have other producers, you have studio heads, you have whatever. You know, you're at Pixar, you're directing a movie, and you have John Lasseter down the hall. And uh, if the sweat box has taught me anything, it's that there's a huge potential for someone coming in and saying, no, 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 scrap that, throw that work out, the work that you just did. Now, that's possible anywhere on any size budget, but I think the less money there is, the less possible that is there. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, whereas like the, the bigger, the budget thing, the more there's room for someone to come in and say, no, 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 kid, you need to do this and do that and blah, blah, blah. Whereas they're going to break their own, you know, like, you know, Are you one talking of the, about creating waste. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the weapons that you would have creative weapons you would have on a lower budget thing is to say like, this is, uh, uh, yeah, if you do that, that's going to cost whatever three right. more million dollars. It's going to put finishing the film in jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. So, I, one, I would say that that's a potential, you know, positive thing. But then there's, there's, there's the 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 downside of indie is that you're, uh, it's it's not like an it's not like a a clean nine to five. Um, it's not, you know, usually it's a, it's a certain level of struggle is inherent to the thing. No one has a model set up for, for, especially for indie animation, but even indie film where it's just, you know, we come in, we do our time, we go home. There's a certain amount of struggle. There's crazier hours. There's, you know, really uh, high stress for the hours that you're there. And I would imagine some of that is, is more alleviated if you have a really solid studio machine that, that is constantly working. The next movie is always coming on the heels of the last and you, you know, you do a nine to five and work on your movie and it's not, there's probably crazy times in there, but there's also probably lots of times to just live your life and enjoy your family and stuff like that. No, I, I feel like you and I have, Early on in our lives, maybe our upbringing was relatively similar. I feel like you uh, learning about the world on the streets of Philadelphia. The mean streets. Right. right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you didn't grow up, you know, isolated on a farm somewhere or in the suburbs. You grew up on the streets of Philadelphia. You had to kind of 
you, you kind of had to learn to carry your bullshit detector with you as a form of survival. Mm-hmm. I come from a very poor family, uh, not very well educated, which also allowed me, which was like a gift that also allowed me to grow up on the wrong side of the tracks where I also had to have a bullshit meter in order to survive. And I feel like that spirit is very similar to the indie spirit in that um, there's not a lot of fluff. There's no room for fluff. There's mm-hmm. no time for fluff. And that indie animation, when I think of artwork, I think of the starving artists and I think like maybe it shouldn't be comfortable. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like maybe, maybe like we, we, maybe the art is best served by it coming out of, you know, a less than comfortable situation, not an awful situation. Right. But I've, I truly believe that you get a, a collection of folks together, the right folks and um, with the right temperament and the right motivation you can get to the finish line without having to pull that pocketbook out every single day to write a check for a brand new material or a brand new something. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I don't know if I had to peg, I mean, the name of this podcast is called Indie Animation with Trevor and Rob, right? Yeah. So I'm wondering if, if I'm answering my own question right now, being like, actually, I think I do prefer Indie Animation. And that to be totally fair... I don't think I need $65 million to tell a picture. Do you know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. And as a producer, by tell a picture, what I really mean is I don't think I need $65 million to give to Rob Shaw to tell a picture. Yeah, you, you know. know. Like, I don't think we need that that dollar amount. Um, I mean, it's, if it's, anyone's listening, they want to give me $65 million, I'll... Um, we'll make two pictures. We'll, three pictures. We'll make, yeah. Um, you know, I'll make you happy. I'll do it. Yeah, and I, and I still think that it's... It comes down to kind of a different, making a different type of thing. So I, you know, I think when I was a kid, I would really rail on Hollywood blockbusters and, and really. Would you didn't like them? No. And I would be pissed that, you know, that, that they were, uh, that they even existed and that we didn't have more, you know, punk rock movies. Mm -hmm. But as I've gotten older, I realized that that's not. That like one is not one needs the other to a certain extent, and I don't I don't mind. I think it's fine that there's bigger movies. I just you know I just watched Coco this weekend, and I'm you know I'm glad that Coco exists. And uh, at the same time, I don't want it to be that only Coco exists. Mm-hmm. I want to see other kind of movies. You know, I want I want there to be some place somewhere where people want to see Jan Svankmeyer films. You know. And I'm more interested personally in working on those kind of films. And I think that that's also like, I'm, I'm at peace with the idea that, that those films are never going to be $65 million films. Those films are $1 million. (laughs) You know, would you say it was, do you think it's accurate to say that in the world that you know of stop motion, that traveling up and down the ladder between indie animation and, um, big studio animation is actually just par for the course because of the feast and famine that stop motion has always gone through. Like, for sure. Do you know and I think st- stop motion in, in uh, specifically uh, is very like Indian in its nature because okay. uh, you know, the, like the history of it in this country comes from a lot of people doing it in their basement mm-hmm. and being really passionate about this really weird thing. You know, there weren't stop motion 
features happening all the time 15, 20 years ago. Um, so it doesn't no, have really, they're, they're doesn't have the same lineage that mm-hmm. that two D has, where like as soon as Snow White happens, people are now seeing it as a form of entertainment, whereas people are still seeing stop motion in this country as a as a, as a way of doing special effects. Yeah, so that's it. That is that's like a little glimpse into our podcast. And you know, if I had it, if I had my way, every podcast would only be interviewing Rob Shaw because that's a Rob lie. is my favorite director in the entire world. If you guys haven't seen Rob's work, you're all dead to me. His work is gorgeous. But we're not going to do that every week. But we will do it on episode one. Okay, we will do a deep dive. I'm totally lying to the audience right now. We already did it. We yeah, already yeah. read it. We already did it. Um, but for episode one, we will. We'll do a deep dive on you, Rob Shaw, yeah. which is amazing. And to be fair, we could just dedicate this entire podcast, and it could be called Indie Animation with Rob Shaw, and sometimes you'll hear Trevor. Well, but then there's episode number two is going to have a deep dive on you and That's where true. you come from. And but it's not going to be as interesting as yours. What we're going to do is go into, you know, further on all these ideas about Indie Animation, but we're yeah. also going to track back on where where you came from how you got into this thing yeah. because i think that's another that kind of feeds into all this and then as our friends join us we've got uh paul harrod from the isle production designer from the isle of dogs is going to tell us how he kind of came about and right. got into animation and damn nice fella by the yeah. way damn nice guy deep radio voice he has yep. uh and uh uh he's doing some directing right now but He's mostly known for production designing. We'll also have some animators. Yeah. Uh, because animate, I mean, it's animation. Sure. We can't just talk to the very important producers right. and directors of the field. Right? So we've got, yeah. um, we've got Jeff Riley and Suzanne Twining, who are two ex- world class stop world motion class. animators, yep. um, good friends of ours. Uh, and so they come over and we kind of right. bullshit for a little while. And I think we're going to get uh, indie animator Javen Ivy. Oh, yeah. Javen's yeah. going to come by. Um, Javen is uh, amazing. He's an object animator versus now he will tell you he's not a character animator, which is fucking bullshit because he's an awesome animator. Um, but he's an experimental uh, animator and director, and we'll have him on the show. And it'll be really nice to get that balance out between um, you know Jeff Riley's perspective and uh, Javen Ivy's perspective because on the spectrum of indie animation versus kind of you know big studio animation, I feel like they both. Um, uh, they're coming at it from those different points of view. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you've listened to episode zero, subscribe so you can listen to episode one and the rest of the episode the day that they drop. Subscribe on whatever you're listening to. All right. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. One, two, three.